Good morning. Welcome to the Orchard. We are so glad you are here today, whether you're joining us here in the house, online, or on a podcast at some other time. We have had so much fun. If you were not here this week or you didn't hear about what we did, last week um, we passed a plate for the first time in Orchard history. We, we don't pass plates here, um, but last week, uh, the, or, the Orchard Elders and Leadership Board and myself have been feeling a burning passion for us to do something locally, just to plant a flag of redemption in our area and say that we want to put love, people, and action. And so we've had uh, $50,000 in gift cards for groceries that we passed out to you guys last week here in the house. And um, I said, remember I said, it, it's not for you. But if you need it, come talk to me. And we did have some people who said, hey, listen, Pastor, I have some significant needs and, and I, I would help them out. And then also I gave them another gift card and said, now this one is for you to give out. Um, so go and give. And, and I have had an influx. Remember I told you what you need to give and report is stories. I've had so many stories. I, I could fill sermons with all the stories that you guys have been sending. Um, people with just tears in their eyes talking about how I heard God and I felt God tell me. I mean, just incredible stuff. And, and, and here's a few. You heard me talk about my daughter uh, last week and how she walked around the whole city market passing hundreds of people with her little card. Little seven-year-old girl, you know, looking for, for who is it God would have me give this to? And we get to the frozen food section and she goes, that's who it is. And she walks up to this woman and, and she says, this is from God. And as we talked, the, she, the woman said, I, I, can I give it away to someone else? Yes. Well, I got an email this week, and, and, from, and it says, I, I think you want to know the rest of the story from the card that your daughter gave me. And they said, uh, I thought you and your daughter would like to hear the ending of the story. I was so caught off guard because I've never had anything like that gifted to me before, and it was so humbling. I walked away wondering why God would tell a little girl to give a gift card to me, because I don't need it. Now, in the past, I have, but I'm in a place right now where I, I don't have those needs, so we left her in that aisle, and she's there with the card. She goes, says, I got to the end of the aisle. When I looked up, I saw one of my students and his family standing in the pharmacy aisle getting medicine. I know they've had significant struggles this year meeting basic needs. That's why I was given the gift card. That's because I knew who to give it to. And as elders, we had talked about, sometimes you give the card to somebody, and they're like, well, I, I don't need this. Like, but you might know who does, or God might show it to you. So I just loved that story. Another story I heard, um, a rumor on a rumor about somebody in our church who has a shaggy beard or who's, who's a little bit shaggier, and they um, went out and um, they were at, and apparently the spouse doesn't like their beard. And so um, they were out at some, somewhere in public, and an orchard child walked up and said, I think you need this. And my wife was like, you are shaving immediately. I think you're homeless. So here's the deal. We have, we have, uh, we have some cards left over that we'll be handing out um, up here up front. For those of you who've, who've given away cards, those of you who want to step back into this, we're gonna reload you again today along with an Orchard card. No advertisement on there, no website. It just says, it's the Orchard, love God, love people. And remember, that's because when you get up there and people have told me, you don't, you don't know how, how terrifying it is to walk up to a stranger and you forget what to say or they forget what you say. And so sometimes you just, that's what you say. Um, but we wanna, um, again, this is for the orchard. We, you know, we say we love God and love people, um, but this is a tangible way we can step into it this December. And so here's what I want. When you keep sending me stories, and they've kept coming in, there's so many I want to tell that I just, I'm waiting on because January 1st is a Sunday. That's right. New Year's Day is a Sunday. And we're going to do church out here in the gathering center, one service only at 10 a.m. 
We're going to have brunch during it. We're going to be eating uh, waffles, pancakes, and sausage, and we're going to have some worship. And then we're going to have some time where we're going to let you guys tell your testimonies, your stories, maybe about how, how that went with you. And so if you have these stories, get ready because we want to hear from you as a church body. And so that's January 1st. So now we turn to Christmas because it's Christmas season, and, and that's what we preach about during Christmas, right? And none of you know the Christmas story, so this is always new information, which is what I love about Christmas. But here's my challenge, and here's what I'm excited about today. I believe that God has something for you today that you maybe didn't know about the Christmas story that will make it come alive in a whole new way. I want to start off, first of all, with an ancient prophet named Isaiah. Who, in Isaiah 7, 700 years before Jesus was born, he said this, The Lord himself will give you the sign. The virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God is with us. Now, Emmanuel, God with us. You know, we read, again, we read right over these things because we're so used to them. But the, God with us, that statement alone is full of mystery and awe. And it's actually a miracle that God would be with us. A divine God, fully God, yet also fully human. If we stop and think about it, our minds can scarcely wrap it around it. Fully God, fully human. The Christmas story is one that, that, that should cause wonder. Like the Christmas story should have a sense of awe and mystery about Jesus coming. The other, mystery and awe and wonder, those are elements and hallmarks of knowing that there is a God out there who is larger than us. When we have wonder about God, it tells us, it informs us there is a God out there who is so much bigger than anything we could imagine. But what happens is without that wonder, without that mystery, when our faith shrinks down to get a human-sized faith, then our prayers begin to shrink. You see, when we lose the wonder and mystery of God, a God who can do anything and who, who can do anything in my life, our faith begins to shrink and our prayers shrink. And pretty soon, the biggest prayer I'm praying is God to bless my meal or give me a hedge of protection, whatever that is, or traveling mercies. You know what I'm saying? Our, our prayers begin to, to shrink. When human loses their hope and wonder about the divine, mysterious God, we also lose our passion. And for many of you, you might say, man, there was a time when I was so passionate I was so on fire for God, and, and maybe that passion has waned. Oftentimes, it's, it's because our faith are, has become so manageable, so small. There's, our wonder is decreased so much, there's not really room for a mysterious, wonderful, awesome God to move in these ways. You see, without wonder and mystery in a divine God, we are left with a religion that fits nice and neat in our beautiful buildings and oftentimes stays in here even when we leave. What we need is to regain our wonder, our awe, the mystery, the exhilaration that God is actually who he claims to be. That he wants to do amazing things in your life. That God wants to do amazing things through your life. In the Bible, anytime someone has an encounter with God or one of his messengers, there is a tangible, emotional, physical, there's a reaction and response from that person, Christmas included. You see, here's what I want to remind you of. Christmas is not some sweet, nice little children's tale. There's drama. There's like Jerry Springer scandal. 
I mean, you, you are not the father. I mean, like there's all kinds of things going on in this story that we need to remember. We sanitize it so much. But if we were to live through that story, it would be full of adrenaline and emotion. And in the end, there's a, there's a move of God that if we see the true scope of what God did at Christmas, it would leave us awestruck. It would leave us in reverence that a God would come in human form to, to be with us and then to die for us. We would be amazed and captivated that he came in the form of a baby. And who are our examples today I want to look at for this hope and joy and wonder? Today I want to focus on an unlikely group of people in the Christmas story. I believe they're the most unlikely. And that is people watching sheep peacefully on the side of a hill. Shepherds. Now, we know they're in the story. We see them on the, you know, they're on our shelf. We've seen them in the nativity. Have you ever wondered why God announced it to shepherds? Pause for a second. He could have announced it to anybody. Did you ever stop and wonder why shepherds? Socially, except for in a very rare instances, shepherds were, in this context, very low class. They didn't finish school. They aren't moving up a corporate ladder. They don't have political aspirations. Have you ever been a shepherd? Can you imagine what kind of job that is? And I'm not demeaning it at all. I'm just saying my job is to watch sheep. Have you ever wondered why God chose shepherds that night? You see, shepherding was a world of difference away from the dignitaries and the royals of that time. Let me ask you this. If you're going to kick off a world-changing movement, a revolutionary movement that would sweep the world, who would you start with? I'm going influencers and YouTubers. I'm going TikTokers. I mean, that thing, you're hitting 20 million right there, and you're like, bada-bing, bada-boom. We are alive. We are changing the world. Or I'm going, I'm going royalty, politicians. I'm going, I'm going people who have power and influence You'd think God would have had the, the angels show up at the temple on a holy day when there's tens of thousands of people there to worship and split the sky right there when they're all there to, to, to worship him. And whoa, here's the new way. You'd have thought God would have the angels show up to the rabbis and the, the priests who could truly get the word out about the Messiah. Like, now we're going to start preaching this new message and they would go to all the tabernacles. But he chose shepherds. He didn't choose a, a packed temple. He chose a, a dark hill spotted with sheep. Had God revealed the plan to priests and religious elites who had God all figured out, they would have had a hard time believing him. How do we know this? Because when Jesus came and he was healing and he was helping and was preaching and he was doing things that they claimed only the Messiah would be able to do, what did they do? They didn't believe him. The priest didn't worship they worried about their power. They didn't go and celebrate the Messiah. Instead, they plotted to kill him. You see, the rabbis and priests, they had lost their awe and wonder with God. Their religion had no room for the mysterious in their own hearts at that time. Their God was tightly and neatly packed into a box that they tried to control. And Jesus was taking that control away. And Orchard, before we go, oh, how, how could they do that? When God can no longer surprise you, 
When you have God in a box, like those religious elites back then, we will often miss out on the work he is doing around us. When God can no longer surprise you, you're going to miss out on what he's actually doing in real time around you. Which makes me ask, how much wonder do you actually have in your heart for God? How much room does God have in your life to speak, to act, to heal, to call you, to prompt you? How much room does God have in your faith to do a miracle? Oh, God can do anything. How much room do you actually give him to do something, actually? You see, we may claim that God can do all these supernatural things, but our level of expectation reveals the size of our faith. And for many of us, our level of expectation in God is that he bless our food. And that's as high as expectation as we'll get. Do you expect God to do great things? Do you have an expectation that the God of the universe wants to work in you and work through you to do awesome things? You see, when we stop having awe that God can move miraculously, our faith and our faith shrinks to a manageable, portable size. But Christmas, you see, Christmas should challenge small faith. Christmas should challenge small expectations. Christmas reveals the mysterious might of God's movement. Christmas is miraculous. Christmas makes no sense in humanity. Christmas tells us that God Almighty, who created the universe, loved you so much, desired a relationship with you so much, that he came to earth to do the impossible, and not in the palace of a king, and not in the authority of a Caesar, and not in the position of a, a politician. No, as a helpless baby boy, born in a sheep cave to a teenage mother and an adopting father whose status was that of a a blue-collar craftsman. You see, we really need to take our safe, sweet Christmas beliefs off the shelf and re-examine them. Because when you see what's actually happening at Christmas, it should challenge your faith and it should give you a sense of wonder and awe. It should make you question if your faith has enough room for what actually happened at Christmas. Throughout the Bible, and even today, God is looking for people who won't tell him what he can't do, who stop putting him in a little box and say, this is is faith. This is all the faith that I have. God is looking for people who are open to the wonder. And that's where we find the shepherds in Luke 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. A few things to note here. Shepherds, they were nomadic people, which means they had to travel a lot. That also meant they couldn't travel back to the temple regularly to cleanse themselves, which means they were spiritually unclean in this environment and context. They couldn't go to the temple as needed. And that said something about them socially. They would avoid these shepherds. Oftentimes in this culture, a shepherd was a youth, a boy or a girl. Very rarely and only in certain circumstances was a shepherd a grown man. Now, there are shepherds who are grown, and we're going to look at them later on today, but most shepherds who watched sheep in in fields at night would take them into a sheep cave or a sheep pen that dot the land in Israel. And in that cave or in that pen, they would have these um, rock troughs made of stone. They would hew it out, and that would be the manger. 
So wherever they were, and, we, and there's still, I've seen pictures of them. David's probably seen them over there. They're all over the countryside. The angel of the Lord appeared to them. So here we have them out there in this field, and an angel of the Lord appears. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And of course, they're terrified. Let me just tell you a quick story. Um, one time I was on a men's retreat. 10 to, I mean, 15 years ago, maybe. It was a long time ago. And we were off in the middle of nowhere. No cell coverage. Can you believe it? And it was probably 8, 9 o'clock. It was well past dark. And um, somebody, one of the guys on the men's retreat, had brought uh, commercial-grade fireworks without any of us knowing it. We're all sitting there around our fires just having a peaceful discussion. And all of a sudden, I hear, thunk. Anyway, you were saying, I mean, I have no idea what that was. And three, four seconds later, the sky explodes above me. Jesus is coming back. Something's happening. <laughs> I'm out in the middle. Of, I'm at 10,000 feet, and this just opens up. I am in the chair of my neighbor, terrified. <laughs> That's what happened here. They were terrified. But the angel said, do not be afraid. <laughs> Why? Because I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. Gospel means good news. I'm bringing you good news of great joy. Because Jesus is going to do something new. God's doing a new movement. And Jesus, the Redeemer of the world, the Messiah, the one spoke of for, for all these years who everyone longed to see, the good news is here. And who's it for? Who's this good news of great joy for? Just the people of Israel? Just the, just the religious elites? No, it says, I bring you the good news of great joy that will be for all people. All languages, all lands, all races. Jesus has come to offer salvation to all people. And then the, the angel gives them some directions. Because they're still sitting in their camp chair like, what? Right? He says, today, okay, today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And they're just, uh, this is the one their entire, their entire nation is longing for. And this will be assigned to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes lying in a manger. Now, shepherds know sheep. They know mangers. Suddenly, with that, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, like the grand finale, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to all those with whom God is pleased. The sky opens up and these shepherds just see all these angels singing and praising. Can you imagine? I mean, just put yourself on a dark hillside and angels split the sky and light it up and you're terrified and you're overwhelmed. I mean, like, can you imagine this moment? The awe and the wonder, the jaw-dropping view of angelic beings announcing the coming of the Messiah and then praising. When the angels had left, all of a sudden, shoo, I wonder how long they were silent. I was just one of these things. Like, what happened then? Like, did you just see that? <laughs> I always wonder, I, like, like what, what, I can't wait to see like, the, the actual movie when we get there. Like, the guy goes, is it just me or the sky just opened up? <laughs> you know? Like, what do they say? When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. Like, let's go see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So full of adrenaline, full of wonder, coursing through their bodies, they immediately get up and they go to go see. And when they, it says they hurried off. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. The shepherds took the revelation that God had given them, 
with awe and with wonder, and they heard this news, and, and with childlike faith, what they do? They didn't go consult somebody. They didn't go, well, let's have a small group and discuss what we should do. No, they just said, Luke said, they hurried off. Like, let's go see this thing. They didn't discuss the theology. They wanted to go see what God was doing. When they had seen, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured these things up in her and pondered in her heart. The shepherds, they returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now, if you're like me, you have read that before, heard that before. And, and, and if you're like me, you have missed something so vital. You see, there's something hidden in what we have just read that changes the context of the whole thing. There is something embedded in one of these sentences in particular that declares Jesus' ultimate purpose in the declaration of his birth. Right there in the birth account, there is a hidden treasure of what Jesus came to do. And I believe God does hide things in the Bible, but he doesn't hide them from us. He hides them for us. So today, we're going to look at something. Because what, what's hidden in here, right here in what we've read, is that Jesus is the Passover lamb. Here in this birth is the sacred foreshadowing that many go a lifetime without ever seeing. So let's go deeper in the context and the language and see what's happening here. Back to Luke 8. Sorry, Luke 2 verses 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Did you, do you see it? It's right there. You see it, don't you? It's just amazing. There's a little bit of information in that one verse that tells us a lot about these shepherds and about these sheep. They were watching sheep in the fields nearby. Nearby what? The city of Bethlehem. Why would that matter? Because if we know that these, these fields were nearby Bethlehem, then we know who these shepherds are and we know what these sheep are for. The Mishnah is a collection of ancient Hebrew discussions and commentaries of the Old Testament and the Hebrew culture. The Mishnah is a commentary of sages and rabbis who would write about all the, these different daily life and spiritual life and ancient culture. Um, we've talked so, throughout the years, we've talked about some of the things in the Mishnah, like it's okay to spit on the side of the road, but not in the middle of the road. Like these, just so many things in their culture that they would just, they would write down and, and, and make and let me known. And the Mishnah discusses sheep explicitly reveals what these sheep in Luke 2 would have been. The Mishnah says this, take, take, listen, quote, the regulation expressly forbids the keeping of flocks throughout the land of Israel except in the wilderness. Not in fields, not near cities. That's where the flocks have to be kept. The only flocks otherwise kept, not in the wilderness, would be those for temple services. The Hebrew law expressly states that common sheep would be kept in the wilderness, not in fields nearby in a city. It goes on to clarify that the only flocks that would be kept around surrounding towns would be sheep used for temple services, which means these flocks discussed here in Luke 2, close to the city in the fields, what are they used for? 
sacrifices in the temple. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. These shepherds are tending the flock of sheep that were specifically kept for Passover offerings and temple services. The males of this flock would be used for sin offerings. The females of this flock would be used for peace offerings. Now, a Passover lamb isn't just an ordinary lamb. If you go back to Exodus 15, when there's so much detail about this, I'm sorry, Exodus 12, 5, it states that a Passover lamb, a lamb for temple service, must be without blemish. So each lamb, immediately upon birth, would be inspected. Blemished lambs, if they had a nick or a discoloration or anything that was disproportionate, it would be set aside for common purposes. But if they would look at it and inspect it and it was unblemished, it would be set aside for sacred purposes. But somebody had to be present and proficient at that moment of birth to be able to inspect them, to know what they're looking for, and to be able to care for them. So you begin to see, these were no ordinary shepherds. They were trained that upon birth, they would scoop up a baby lamb and quickly inspect it. Why right away? Because a lamb at birth is most vulnerable. The lamb, if it had even the the, the slightest blemish in color, and they would look over in the hide, anything, they would set it aside for common use. But if if they inspected it and it was unblemished, it had to remain so. It had to remain so, especially in this time right after birth when it's most vulnerable. Because an unblemished lamb, if it's unblemished, it could thrash around, it could fall down and panic, strike a stone, nick a hoof. Scrape an elbow. That would be a blemish. And so, upon inspecting the lamb, if it was unblemished and to keep it from nicking itself or scraping itself, after inspection, the trained shepherd would take from himself a cloth and swaddle and wrap the lamb, wrapping it tight to itself so it couldn't flail to protect it. And he would carefully lie it in one of those stone mangers that we see all over the countryside. Literally, he would swaddle the newborn lamb. With that in mind, we go back to Luke. Because when the angel declared this to the shepherds, a savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. Now he says this will be a sign to you. Is he talking about the orchard? Is he talking about us? This is going to be a sign to you. Who's the sign for? Well, he says, you'll find a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. Imagine how that hits them and their context. Do they know about babies wrapped in cloth in manger? This will be a sign for you. You'll be a baby wrapped in cloth in a manger. I know what that means. A newborn baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger, announced by angels, the Christ, the coming king. Can you imagine as the awe began to come over them, the joy that this was created in their hearts? The Messiah, the one prophesied, the unblemished lamb of God. He's announced to temple shepherds who are gathered. They're the ones that gather the unblemished lambs for the Passover sacrifice. Do you see even here how the announcement of Jesus' purpose is clear? The angel declared a savior, the Lamb of God, who had come unblemished, without sin. And this lamb, on a coming Passover, 
would give its life for all people. Even in his birth declaration, even in the birth announcement, Jesus' purpose is clear. This baby, our Lord, has come to live as the Lamb of God and lay down his life as the Passover Lamb. The Lamb of God, born without sin, and 33 years from then, he would die for the sins of all humanity. And what's amazing is, in 33 years, these sacrificial flocks would be irrelevant. No longer would the, they need to be fine, unblemished lambs. No longer would there need to be shepherds looking for, for blemishes and unblemishes because Jesus, the Lamb of God, had come once and for all to die for all the sins. No need for reoccurring sacrifices. The shepherds hear the news about a swaddled baby in a manger and they get it. And they hurry off to see it. And then they celebrate. The shepherds return glorifying and praising God for all the things he had heard and seen. It was just as they had been told. Before Jesus had even preached a message or, or, or declared anything about his sacrifice or done a miracle, shepherds praised and glorified God that the lamb had come. Emmanuel, God with us unblemished. And here's the application. I want us to be like shepherds. These shepherds here, they had their eyes open to wonder. And when they saw and heard where God was moving and at work, they hurried there. And Orchard, may we be a church that hurries to do the work of God. And if we see God at work or the need of God at work, that we hurry on our way to go see and, and, and serve others. And here's the other one. Here's what they teach us. When they had seen him, what'd they do? They spread the word concerning about what they had been told about this child. And all who heard their story was amazed. After Jesus was revealed, they spread the word. The orchard, many of you here have come to know Jesus as Savior. Some of you are still seeking and, and, and trying to understand what that would be like. But, but for many of you here joining us, you have come to know Jesus as your Savior and like these shepherds, you are not to just go, okay, he's my savior. I'm going to live on that and sit on that for the next decade of my life, 40 years of my life. We were meant to go spread the word. They went and spread the word immediately. It says this, all who heard were amazed what the shepherd said to them. There are people in your life who need to hear your story of how God has impacted your life, worked in you and through you, so they can be amazed at what they hear. They might never sit in here and be amazed by anything I say, some preacher, but they know you. And you were never meant to hear and follow Jesus and leave it in this room. You're meant to have eyes full of wonder, expecting that God can do great things and to leave here and go and hurry off and go tell those that you know. You have the idea what God's done in my life. Do you want to hear what he's done? Christmas is an easy time to do this. That's one reason we pass these cards out to you today. To just give you an opportunity for an easy invitation for them to come hear what God has done, what Jesus has done. And so just like a lot of us are listening, God, who should I give my gift card to? Who should I give this to? Invite people. Invite people that are near you, that you know, who, who, who could use a message of hope. Who could find Jesus and be in awe of what he's done. Orchard, my prayer for us is that we are bold and that we take God at his word. 
and that we believe Jesus and that we know we don't, listen, we're going to give life, we're going to give love, we're going to give gift cards, we're going to give invitations, we're going to give testimony. We're going to be a church who, who takes what God has done in our hearts and in here and take it out to a world that needs him. Let's be that church that is just crazy enough to take God at his word, to trust his spirit in us and step out and open our mouth and let's see what he can do. We take the risk. He takes care of the results. Father God, I pray that you would help us to be bold and courageous. I pray that for those of us who have a nice and tidy faith where we are not surprised any longer by anything you could do, I pray that you would forgive us. Forgive me. I pray you, the God of the universe, would surprise us that you would open our eyes to wonder as, you, as we see you moving in us and through us. I pray, I, I just thank you for Jesus, that you made a way through him. And God, that you are still making a way even now in our hearts and lives. And with that, let us worship.